Willie Sutton's law states that whether legally or illegally, folks would like to separate you from your money. Hello and welcome to the Durham Talents channel. My name is Jesse Durham. Welcome to the show. Today we're going to be covering another installment of our book review from R. Nelson Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, 5th edition. This is going to be where he has part two, Willie Sutton's Law. Now what he says is that if we can overcome Parkinson's Law, which is the last section that we covered, we're then confronted with Willie Sutton's Law. Now Willie Sutton's Law comes from an infamous bank robber. From 1901 to 1980, Willie Sutton lived and as a notorious bank robber, he was asked, you know, why would you rob banks? And he replied, that's where they keep the money. So what we find out is that this law teaches us that whether legally or illegally even, folks would like to separate us from our money. The quote from Nash is that wherever wealth is accumulated, someone will try to steal it. So wherever wealth is accumulated, someone will try to steal it. Now, as soon as we recognize that the Willie Sutton law exists and there's no way around it, that wherever wealth is accumulated, someone will try and steal it. Nash gives us an exercise to consider. He says, imagine going to a mall or a store, department store somewhere and being an onlooker of the following scenario. Imagine a person walking up to another person at gunpoint and saying, give me the contents of your wallet, your purse, your pockets. Give me your things, your stuff, your money, or I will kill you. Now, naturally, we're going to think that that is a horrible act. It's wrong. It's wicked. It is unjust and a crime, in fact. Now, let's Play out that same scenario, but beforehand, what if the thief, the robber, the burglar could come in beforehand and let all the bystanders know, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to do. And when I'm done, we will split the proceeds. Well, what Nash is asking us to consider is whether or not the scenario would play out any differently. Would there be a percentage? Would there even be a majority that would be on board and okay with that plan as long as they could share in the benefits? So the next reference that Nash makes is Frederick Bastiat, 1801 to 1850. He was a French economist and a statesman. He wrote an essay called The Law. Now, The Law was an essay on the perversion of law that instigates and perpetrates the very offense that it's supposed to deter and address. He calls it legal plunder. So a way for government, instead of protecting, is actually a participant in the very crime that otherwise would be punished just like we addressed in considering whether or not the perpetrator would notify the crowd of an impending larceny in public, as long as those in the crowd could share in the plunder. So Frederick Bastiat, and Nash does a good job of sharing his suggested reading list 
at the back of the book, and I would highly encourage us to keep reading that material as well, because it obviously influenced and educated Nash in arriving at what we can also agree is a natural law. Folks will try to separate us from our money, whether legally or illegally. Willie Sutton informed us of that. Frederick Bastiat informed us of that. And really, when we begin to recognize that governments do not produce, but rather they are much more like a parasite. They live off of the people. They don't produce for the people in and of itself. The government does not do that, but rather it lives off of the people. Could not exist without the people. Lives off of the people in a parasitic relationship. And we have an example. Nash says in the USSR, that's the former Soviet Union, uh, from an overzealous parasitic government. And perhaps others would concede that we have other modern day examples. And I won't bother even naming any names of countries and, and other instances. But when we recognize that the Willie Sutton Law does exist and that onerous taxation, as Nash refers to it, is an interesting circumstance. Now, I'm no tax expert. Let me be clear there. And I'm not making any tax suggestions here or giving tax advice. But I'm a person who has paid and does pay taxes. And when Nash talks about onerous taxation, perhaps being what we've described beforehand, legal plundering. And then when we see that that same government that very well may be legally plundering is giving exemptions to the very rules that they have made, the very tax rules that they have made, doesn't that make us become curious? I mean, when a government says... Well, you're limited in this way and that way and the other way. If you decide to invest into a qualified plan, you're limited how much you can put into that qualified plan. You're limited how much you can access without penalties or taxes and, and all these different things. But then they make exceptions to those very rules that they made. Doesn't that just make us curious? Nash is very good about pointing out. He, he actually says, isn't that more like... Uh, giving the fox the assignment of watching the in-house. <laughs> so, honors taxation leads to exceptions. So, some other things to notice in considering taxation in government is that they're making the rules and they can change their mind whenever they choose. So, as far as control goes... We see that it's the government changing their mind, and they will do so, Nash says. We've seen them do so. And, and there are just so many different examples that we could discuss. One, just for an example, would be coming off of the gold standard in the 70s. That was, not a, that was not a choice of the people, but rather a choice of the government. And they could choose to do something different in the future as well. Now, these qualified programs, if we continue using these qualified programs, these 401ks, etc., IRAs, if we continue to use them as an example, would they exist if there were no participants? 
if no one funded them, would they even exist? I think not. Obviously not. Now, in 1913, that's the year that tax law began, up to that point, our nation ran a budget surplus. So I'm just trying to point out some things that Nash mentions in his book, and he does it most eloquently. In fact, as I've read the book over the past six plus years, I think that it's even more simple and more elegant than when I first read it. So this this video, this audio I'm saying is, is no replacement for reading Becoming Your Own Banker for yourself. But if we're noticing these things, that the government can change their mind, and they will, that these qualified plans would disappear without participants, and that the income tax law that started in 1913 ended our nation having a budget surplus. Well, there are these two different means that Nash references. He mentions that there is an economic means and that there is a political means. And this comes from Albert J. Nock. Our Enemy, the State, by Albert J. Nock, describes this economic means versus this political means. You know, that economic means is bringing a product or a service to the free market and, and, and building and growing and offering that and scaling that and providing value for someone else. You know, it makes me think of the quote from Zig Ziglar that if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll ultimately get what you want. And if there's a demand for firewood, let's say, I've just started burning some uh, fire in our wood stove and it's, it's a good time of year for us. We enjoy that very much. But if if there's a demand for firewood and I provide the firewood and I deliver it after having split it and chopped it and everything that needs to go into that, the truck, the trailer, the chainsaw, all these different things, if I'm supplying that need of that product, that's a very economical means of going about things in a free market. Whereas the political means is that parasitical means. It's it's that government with its onerous taxation taxing the people, making rules, then deciding to make exemptions to their own rules. But the government itself is not able to produce with those economic means in and of itself. It's reliant upon the people. And what Bastiat Nash continues to reference Bastiat. What Bastiat said was the state is that great fiction whereby everyone tries to live at the expense of everyone else. Remember our scenario at the mall? People trying to live at the expense of everyone else. There's so many lessons there right now. You know, again, just because it's recent in my mind, it's recent history for us. You know, I've owned and used policies that have been properly structured for the banking function for the past six years. And that's been through some very interesting times, not the least of which was 2020, for example, where there were exceptions given to those who wanted to access funds in their 401ks and other qualified plans where the government allowed that access without the normal 
um, penalty for an early withdrawal. So the government making rules, making exceptions to the rules, taxation taking place the whole time, of course. But then all these government shutdowns and mandates and what have yous, stimulus checks being sent out, businesses shut down, all these different things taking place. Again, let me read that Bostiak quote. The state is that great fiction. It doesn't exist without the people. In fact, it exists to serve the people. We'll come to that later, perhaps. That great fiction whereby everyone tries to live at the expense of everyone else. No, in fact, I will go ahead and mention it, that recently I was listening to some information that was pointing out how the Constitution is not for the people. The Constitution is not for the people. The Constitution is of the people, for the people's government. And that role seems to get reversed so very often. Someone gets in and power corrupts, and some would say power corrupts completely, or complete, absolute power corrupts absolutely. So we're all susceptible to these natural and these human conditions. Willie Sutton's Law, the one that we're discussing right now, having uh, been one of those, to be sure. But that someone could get into a position and in that position think themselves to be the leader or at least the leader only and not the servant. I think we have some great examples in some in some other individuals. George Washington comes to mind foremost for me. There may be others as well that you would think of first, but George Washington coming to mind always seemingly uh, ready to be a servant in whatever capacity for his country, whether as a, a soldier and a general or the president, if called upon, because the Constitution is for the government, not for the people. It's of the people. Let's continue. Nash said, economic problems are best solved by people freely contracting with one another and with government limited to the function of enforcing those contracts. I love this. What Nash is saying is that folks should be able to freely, independently contract or not, or not. See, again, going back to my firewood scenario, and I know that's very rudimentary. Forgive me if, it, if it's too much so in your, in your mind. But if there is no demand for firewood, I'm going to have to move on to a different business or I'm going to have to improve because someone up the road is doing it better. Something's got to happen. And when people are allowed to freely contract in that way and choose to buy or not to buy, my firewood, someone else's firewood, and I'm not selling firewood, uh, by the way. Um, I'm not selling firewood. I will use firewood. Um, I'm not selling firewood. But if those folks are allowed to freely contract and the deal is made, the hands are shook, money is exchanged, and then something in that agreement is not carried out voluntarily by the contracting persons, sure, that is, that is the exact time when a government could step in and enforce correctly, justly, that contract that had been agreed upon between free peoples. So I love Nash's wording on that. Now, here we arrive at recognizing that whole life insurance 
has existed for over 200 years. It predates this tax information that I've been relaying that began in 1913. And again, I'm not a tax expert, but the tax law began in 1913. Life insurance had existed for hundreds of years beforehand. And it it is what it is. Let's consider this. Life insurance is not compulsory. Not compulsory. What is compulsory? Taxes. That owner's taxation is compulsory. If you think you own your land, try not paying the taxes on it. It is private. It does precede the income tax. It's not government-sponsored. Again, remember, people freely contracting with each other. And who buys life insurance? What you're mitigating risk, you're offsetting the, the financial risk that the people or the entities that you care about would experience at your early demise. So heaven forbid... But the kinds of folks who procure life insurance for themselves are folks who really make rubber meet the road in providing for that risk that they assume. And there is a transfer, a tax-free, let me go ahead and point that out here, there's a tax-free transfer of wealth when a whole life insurance policy that's been properly structured for the banking purpose with a mutual company that pays a dividend, when it pays out, Upon the insured's graduation, your people, my people, or the entities that you care about or that I care about, are given a tax-free transfer of wealth. So, Nash said, what a great group of people to be associated with in business. And for sure, those are the kinds of folks that I want to be able to do business with as well. So, I hope that this has been helpful to you in studying and having a conversation about Nash's book, Becoming Your Own Banker, I, again, highly encourage you to read that book. And if you are vetting this idea, researching this idea, and it's important to you to protect yourself, but also to provide for your need of finance, and you'd like to know more about this idea, then you could reach me at 828-817-4223, or you can email DurhamTalents at gmail.com and we can have a conversation about how you could implement this idea into your household or your business or your investing. So this has been a great pleasure for me. I look forward to our next conversation. Have a great day. Take care. The IRS is the biggest thief in the world. The best way to do business is for folks to freely and independently contract with one another.